The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are just about three weeks into the season. Uh, We are getting close to the point where the standings will start to make sense. Um, We have had the fallout of the Brad Aldrich uh, case um, begin to hit us. I think that there may end up being more stuff coming. Um, I'm curious. I have a small opinion uh, that we're going to discuss later when we talk about general managers. Um, We have a look at Messier and the 94 guarantee. Uh, which team signed a uh, signed a uh, grocery stick for the next couple of years, and a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, including, of course, the Jack Eichel saga. Where do we begin? Oh goodness! Uh, let's. Well, we we don't want to start with the. We we don't want to start with, but we don't want to save Brad till the end either because we want to end on a positive note. Uh, so we could start with we could start with the Eichel saga since it might be finally ending. Okay. Um. So according to the nice folks, uh, way up north. Um. The I'll second. Up north. <laughs> uh, Toronto. Oh, okay. Uh, Elliot Friedman has reported via Sportsnet that uh, talks between the Sabres and Golden Knights um, have been heating up. Um, On Friday, he appeared on Jeff Merrick's uh, show, and it's believed that the Golden Knights have done their due diligence and would actually allow him to undergo the procedure uh, that he wants uh, uh, to repair his neck. Which, you know, had the had the Sabres, you know, I don't know, maybe done the same thing six months ago at this point. Um, he'd probably have been back. He'd either have been back in time for camp. They would have known before July, uh, before free agency that he wasn't going to be back, most likely, or mm-hmm. at least not back for the early part of the season. And been able to buy him out, trade him, put him on long-term injured reserve at that point. You know, make decisions in an unrushed professional manner. They're they're also a team, uh, the Golden Knights, they're also a team that I think can afford to let him, at this stage, can afford to let him sit, get his surgery. If you were being traded to... (laughs) A borderline. Arizona, a borderline team. They would, they would need him out there sooner than later. I think right. in this case, the Golden Knights have the luxury, with the talent that they do have on the ice. Fast or not, it's still talented. It's still a talented. They're roster. still a talented team. But you're 100 percent right. If it were, I mean, Vegas is in position to climb they haven't had a great start they haven't had a terrible start um but if this were i don't know the islanders 
they have had an okay start, and it's really hard to separate who's legit and who's not in the Eastern Conference right now uh, because there are 14 of the 16 teams at 500 or better, um, including some really confusing ones uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later, Mm -hmm. Um, starting with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, I mean, a 786 points percentage from them is even more confusing than Montreal's 222 save percentage. Their I mean, one regulation loss was to their one regulation loss was to the Bruins. Or uh, the utterly baffling Chicago Blackhawks record, 07 and two. That would be a Western Conference. It is a Western Conference team, but again, they're playing and mostly that, Western Conference teams. And, and the Western Conference is terrible. squishy. Um, I don't even know if squishy defines it anymore, but we can get into that later. We're digressing here. We never do that. No, no, we never do. But seriously, if he was going to someplace like Dallas or or even a Seattle, they're teams that need to make they a would statement. need him. They would be trading for him, needing him as soon as they could, or yes, or you were hoping for the Eichel that was already playing. You know, you know, Anaheim, same deal. And and Anaheim's actually mentioned as uh, in, in in this article as well. But yeah, I think that the Golden Knights have the capability to let him do what he needs to do. They already said they would allow him to get the surgery. They can allow him to rehab and. It's not going to be a huge loss for them to not have him on the ice. No. And assume he ha- assume the trade happens this week. I don't think it will. But he's he has the surgery in 10 days. So 10th of November. He begins rehab January 1st. Six weeks of rehab from there. Um, you've got the Olympic break and the all-star break in there. So you're talking mid-February and then three weeks of skating with the team and independently before he takes the ice as the most optimistic. If everything goes well, not perfect, but well, he's back on the ice the end of March. Yeah. Has a couple of April games to tune up. And then playoff time, and you've basically Kucherov'd yourself a young all-star. Yeah, in in their defense, they're not actually pulling a Kucherov, but it's sort of... It's very... Well, yes. If you're bringing him back just in time for the playoffs, that part of it is the Kucherov part. The sitting him for the season, well, you kind of have to. The guy's having surgery on his neck. You need him to rehab properly or else you're not going to be getting back a, a truly 100% healthy Eichel. As it is, you're, it, you know, anytime you have surgery on any part, it, it never fully gets back to quote-unquote 100%. But as close as you're going to get, it's going to take him a while. So yeah, Kucherovin him is in terms of getting him just in time for the playoffs. Yes. But into in, in just letting him sit and 
oh wait, he's practicing with the team for a month prior to the playoffs, but he's not ready Full to practice. come back. Yet. Yeah. Full practice, but he's not ready to come back yet. Yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, it, 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 the interesting part about this at the bottom of the article, it, it mentions, and, and these were my questions, um, how, is, how is he going to fit as far as, uh, as far as money is concerned? Because he, the Golden Knights, while they have talent, are also spending up to, if not over the cap. They've got Alex Tuck still on long-term IR. He would obviously be on uh, – Eichel would be on IR, LTIR. But when they come back, they've got to make room money-wise for these players, which means they're going to have to give somebody up who either they don't want to, such as, as it points out here, a Shea Theodore type, or they're going to have to try and convince somebody who doesn't want to go anywhere that they need to leave. Yeah. Such as a Jonathan Marcheseau. And... I mean, it does say you swing a deal with a third-team party. We were talking pregame uh, about, you know, adding in extra layers, trying to get, you know, Eichel to swing back to the Northeast. <laughs> I, I don't I think see that, that kind of defeats the. I think that kind of defeats the purpose of the whole deal itself. I think Vegas wants Jack. I mean, and who oh, absolutely. Would, I, I, and who wouldn't? I healthy Jack is. I don't see them bouncing him out of town. Now, using my proposed and largely theoretical timeline, mm-hmm. if you got him back active on the roster on March 16th, yes, so up 20 plus games before the end of the regular season, that's that's a more than healthy tune-up. Like he should be very close to mid-season form. If he's healthy, um, with if he, com- if he comes back with a quarter of the season still to go, that should be a, that should be a good enough time to get him tuned up and ready to go in the playoffs. I mean, there's some. I mean, the first game back would be a little bit would be a test. It would be against the Florida Panthers um, at home, um, and then but the next game is the L.A. Kings. They're a team. Minnesota has not done what I would expect yet this year. And then Winnipeg, Nashville, and Chicago uh, to finish out his first, you know, week and a half back, uh, that first six games. And then he's got a three-day three day break before going to Seattle. Um, that's, that's a good landing spot if anything, if everything can be done and executed well. Okay. I mean, in, in this article, it, it, it does indi- it does intimate intimate that a better landing spot would be Anaheim. And again, my issue is the whole thing I just said with a team like Anaheim isn't going to. They're going to have to, but I don't think they they are truly comfortable with having this ten million dollar shiny new toy sitting on the shelf. They need okay. him now. They need to. They need. They need to improve now. Yes, they okay. need more than him. But Here, here's the thing, though. September first. Did anybody look at the Anaheim playoff team? Not if they were sane. 
No, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I certainly so, did not look at them and pick them. Wait, in fact, I'm pretty sure neither one of us picked Anaheim as a playoff team. So I don't see it as, as big a deal. What I do see as a possible point of contention, Jack is done losing. Like, he does not want to lose anymore. Anaheim nobody, has... Nobody wants to lose. Okay, he's not going to tolerate losing anymore. <laughs> and as a, as, the gen, as a general manager or a theoretical general manager, as much as I don't think Jack Eichel has been a problem or the problem in Buffalo, I would have to worry a little bit about the fact that I know that I'm not contending anytime soon. Now, the West is squishy. Yeah, we that. might have to change. We might have to change that term because it's worse than that. I think it's worse. Um, it, it's sloppy. <laughs> sloppy is a good word. Okay, I'll, I can accept um, that. Maybe I think that with the addition of Eichel, that if they can tread water and be a 500 team, or somehow manage to be a 500 team, actually, if they can be a 500 team at the at the playoffs at this or when the season ends at this hour playoff team, because mm-hmm. you need to hold your nose when you look at the West standings at the moment. Um, I, I think that they maybe believe, or I could be convinced that a decent number of general managers would believe, okay, if I get him back on the timeline, I just talked about, and yes, there's going to be a slight difference in the number of games for, Anaheim and Vegas. Get him back with a quarter of the season to go. Assume that he's playing well for those for 15 of those games. And he puts up, say, 10 goals and 12 assists in those last games, which I don't think is unreasonable given his talent level. Yeah. Maybe you make up six, eight points and you jump from third in the wild card to third overall in the Pacific, because again, Pacific, not a great division. It's going to be, there's not going to be a huge amount of space between first in the division and not in the playoffs. Right. Uh, if you think you can do that, particularly if you can swing another, another trade to bolster the the organization, maybe you pull the trigger. Uh, yeah, no. I, but either it's just, way, just that, go ahead. That I think, no, I was just and, and the article plays right into my hands here. But I think that Buffalo is going to want the sun, at least two of the things stars. that Anaheim can't, Anaheim can't or shouldn't give up, and that is either Trevor Zegers and or Jamie Drysdale, and. I see Buffalo wanting at least one of them. Uh, they have a lot of good young players on that squad. They just haven't been able to really put it together yet. I think I, I, I think Anaheim is getting there. I just they just haven't put it all together yet. If that makes sense. I think the one thing that this article tells me is clear, though. Because there are two other teams that it mentions very, very briefly. Uh, This article tells me one thing. 
Buffalo is not trading him anywhere east of east. Yeah. Colorado, Calgary, Anaheim, Vegas. Buffalo is not trading him to anywhere where he's going to come back to bite Buffalo in the butt more than twice a season and maybe in the playoffs. Yeah, I I really don't didn't expect them to at any point anyways. I mean, the locals will talk about Heichel and Boston all they want. Um, Oh, even when he came here and was doing those little on ice practices after development camp. He was here three or four out of the five days. Yeah. But, and I think that got everybody a little bit excited that, uh, ooh, maybe Jack's coming. No, because if you look at the people that were on the ice, it was, uh, there was somebody from Chicago. There was, uh, Zach Hyman was out there. Uh, Almost all of the guys who were there. St. Louis Blues. Who had ties to Boston. Mm-hmm. Or made former, at Boston players. Former, or, or Boston natives or Massachusetts yeah. natives. That's that's all it was because Krug came back. I mean, we had Krug was out there on the – it was either – I mean, Stanika was out there. It, it, was, it was either Bruins, former Bruins, Massachusetts-born or – or free agents, yeah. It, it there was no rhyme or reason to it. It was just a couple, bunch of guys who decided to get the other, keep in shape, put in the work. It had nothing to do with Eichel coming to Boston. <laughs> as sure? much as I as much as I would like to see him in a Bruins uniform, it's not going to happen. I really wanted PK Subban in a Bruins uniform. It didn't happen. Nor did I think it was going to, even when we drafted Malcolm. Uh, no, no. Um, so maybe, just maybe, there will be an end to this uh, to the Eichel saga before his career actually ends. Um, I That'd don't be think, nice for him and the league. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are going to have to find a topic a different topic to write about, but, uh, and talk about on their shows, but I'm okay with that. Cause I'm pretty much done <laughs> like I am with our next story. Okay. Brad Aldrich, who, oh. um, well, ladies and gentlemen, just picture 10 or 15 minutes of me saying the sort of things that one shouldn't say in great creativity, depth and variety. Well, the kindest um, thing I can come up with is piece of filth, but, you know. Uh, too kind. Um, yes. No, I'm aware of that, but I can't say anything else, and neither can you. <laughs> Nor should the fallout know. from this uh, has revealed that some people are just stu- – make stupid and poor decisions. Yes. Um, and really should have known better. And that pretty much every – member of the Chicago Blackhawks organization at the time who was a father had, you know, during that, during the time when Kyle beach and the other person whose name I've forgotten, 
uh, on the staff, uh, I believe it was an intern at the time, were sexually assaulted by Brad Aldrich. Um, didn't do, didn't make significant efforts to get the situation uh, legally taken care of. Joel Quenville, um, that man has lost a lot of respect. Uh, yes, he's no longer the coach in Florida. Um, he, resigned, he resigned two days ago, yeah. He resigned. Um, I don't know how much of that was. Um, you're, it's a bad look for the franchise. I don't know how much of that was. It's a bad look for the league. I don't know how much of it was. If you force us to, rem- if you force the league to remove you, you're never getting. Uh, you're never coming. You're never going to be involved in any league activity ever again. Um, I don't think he should be anyway. Oh, okay. There's well, that's a, that's a separate question. But yeah, um, he's out. Stan Bowman is out. Stan Bowman also gone and should be gone. Also gone from USA Hockey and should be gone. Um, and uh, Kevin Chevaldeoff, who was a junior member of the staff at the point at that point, had a meeting with uh, Gary Bettman as part of the investigation, and the investi- spoke with the investigators, and he was apparently only involved in one meeting. Um, where this topic came up and mm-hmm. he was told by a senior member of the staff that, you know, it was going to be taken care of. And that's why he's not facing league punishment. Um, the thing about this, yeah, we're three weeks into the season this 10-year-old story, 11-year-old event, is getting all of the press and not the 32nd team in the league. We're not talking about the Florida Panthers and Carolina Hurricanes being off to sensational starts. We're getting celebrity magazines and even Forbes paying attention to the NHL for absolutely the worst reason. It's... Having bad things happen when humans are involved is probably inevitable. Bad people do bad things. And sometimes it's really hard to spot them. But when you do spot them and you don't do what it takes to get rid of them and prevent them from causing more harm, you are a part of the problem. And I do not feel bad for Joel Quenville. I do not feel bad for Stan Bowman. Nope. Um, and as part of uh, as part of his conversation with Kyle Beach, who in the lawsuit is John Doe, um, be, I Gary Bettman is quoted as starting the conversation with, "Call me Gary." <laughs> I'm Gary, sure Kyle Beach has. Uh, I'm sure Kyle Beach has other names he'd rather be calling Gary. Uh, Yes, not quite as um, sulfuric as the ones for Mr. Uh, Mr. Aldrich, but yeah, I don't believe for a minute that this is the first time league officials, 
people in the league offices have actually heard this. I don't believe that when this lawsuit was filed, this was the first time anyone in the league front office heard this. Not for a second. No. And the one constant in that front office for the past, what, 30 years has been Gary Bedman. Yes. I do not believe for a second that he has never heard of this. Oh, I don't buy it at all. No, there's no way. In, hey. uh, any any location, whether it's on this plane or not, I I, I don't buy that at all. He he had he knew about this. That this was not uh, this was not outside of his realm of understanding at all. And I don't like sounding like one of those guys. I don't okay. blame rich people for being rich. I I aspire to be rich. Yes. It's not the money that makes people do somewhat shady things to protect themselves. But nowhere nowhere not in this case and not in the case involving the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm wondering if that had any indirect effect on, on moving this story along because you and I both thought that this story was not getting any traction, not getting any play. It was getting swept under the rug. And then all of a sudden the Jared Skull issue came up and mm-hmm. suddenly the Brad Aldridge issue was moving. Yep. Uh, so here's the thing. What what has come out of this has laid the blame on while it's a stretch to call them the working class of the NHL certainly the most public figures and my question is how do owners not have in place a policy where any criminal behavior on the part of their staff particularly something like this is not a required report. Not, oh, ownership or go through the legal or check with the league offices, but get your backside on the phone and call the police immediately. You're a grown up. This is the right thing to do. So, yeah, this wasn't Aldrich's first rodeo. Was he not relieved of other duties for issues prior to going to the Blackhawks? And after. Um, he went from the Blackhawks to a high school where he assaulted a, I believe it was 16 year old. It might've been younger. I'm trying not to think about it, but Johnny worst is, has come out and said, Oh, I want Brad Aldrich's name off of the Stanley cup. Uh, Alan Walsh tweeted out the same thing. Big deal, big deal, big deal. Statistically speaking, as much as I hate to think about it, there's probably at least one other rapist on there. There's probably at least one murderer on there. It's humanity. What is humanity? What are you going to do to prevent this in the future? How are you going to make it 3000% clear to every member of the staff from the youngest person selling concessions uh, and these 
least mentally capable person cleaning the toilets, that this sort of behavior is never going to be tolerated as part of your organization. And that everyone needs to report this sort of behavior, regardless of who it is. Uh, perhaps that should have been instilled in him at some point during his upbringing, what is right and what is wrong. I, I, I don't get how – yes, people need to be punished for their parts. But if Johnny Wurst and the other owners of the league don't make it abundantly clear that this sort of thing cannot happen, will not happen, must be reported, and that the only way to come out of it looking respectable is to be the first avalanche to hit that person. Yeah. Do your investigation, let law enforcement take care of it, but make sure that that person is not in position to harm anyone else in your organization or use your organization to harm other people. I mean, what if Brad Aldrich had been put in charge of any of those, uh, you know, learn to skate camps that we now see that teams certainly weren't doing 20 years ago, 30 years ago? How many young children would he, would he have been able to hurt? Yeah. Uh, just why? That's a, a because due diligence was not done when when he was hired. Uh, nobody looked into why he was relieved of duties from prior, and he was allowed to be hired as video coach or whatever the heck you video person work in the AV department, whatever it was he did. I, you, they didn't do their due diligence. They hired this guy. He does it. They, it's reported to the team. They let him go. He goes on and does it somewhere. At some point, somewhere, this should have been caught and stopped to break the chain. And it wasn't. It wasn't. And my throwing things at the walls, as I would really like to at the moment isn't going to change it. Um, Robin Leonard, who in a lot of ways has become an emotional compass for the league, um, took to Twitter a couple of days ago and uh, spoke or uh, he tweeted that he wanted to thank Kyle Beach for coming, uh, uh, for coming forward. Um, Talked about this being courage on the highest level. Um, and the well, need to support is. people. Go ahead. It, no, I was just going to say it is courage on the highest level. I mean, he could have – Mr. Beach, Kyle, could have just left it as John Doe. He didn't have to come forward and put a name to the – put a name and a face to the story. They could have let it go as John Doe and just stayed in the shadows. But – Putting his name out there, putting himself out there, gives the story just that much more credibility. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of courage. It took and, – and I understand why it's Leonard coming out and thanking him. I mean it took Leonard a lot of courage to come out and thank – and there they go. 
it took Leonard a lot of courage to come out and tell the NHL community and tell the world in, in general that he had a mental illness. So he understands what kind of courage it takes to come out and put yourself out there ahead of the story. So I'm not surprised at all that he's the one stepping forward and thanking Kyle for coming forward and telling him that we will be there to support him. It's not a surprise at all. It's not a surprise. I'm glad to see it happening. And I really hope that whatever has lingered for Kyle Beach these last this last decade um, gets a little bit more distant with the support that he's getting from Robin Leonard and others. Um, as part of the fallout uh, and as part of the uh, Pittsburgh investigation, um, we know we mentioned you mentioned that Stan Bowman was out as part of USA Hockey's uh, Beijing team. Um, it's expected that Bill Guerin, GM of the Minnesota Wild, will be stepping up uh, to the GM's chair. He's been the assistant GM. Uh, he was cleared of any complicity in in whatever happened in Pittsburgh. With the Jared Scald, Scald story. And I'm still kind of wishy-washy on that one, too. I'm not sold on. I think that... <sighs> There's uh, what the whole situation really kind of stinks. Yes. Um, I mean, I think part of the difference here, and it ne shouldn't necessarily be a part of it, is that in the case of Kyle Beach and the intern, um, who was at this point unnamed, um, both were members of the organization who should have had equal protection to their, uh, to their attacker. And as wrong as it is in Pittsburgh, Jared Scald assaulted someone's wife. Um, and yes, I think very, very highly of Mr. Scald as well. I think about 500 feet should be enough. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 500. Got to be sure of these things. Okay. Um, where was, oh. And that, so, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so it, basically they're saying that he had nothing to, he had no knowledge, no nothing. I mean, what is, how exactly does he get a clean, uh, a clean report? Unfortunately, it's not clear from any of the articles that I've read. Um, I mean, the, there's a, there's an article in the athletic, um, uh, following, uh, following the situation, uh, the quote from this. Bill Daly, deputy commissioner of the NHL, uh, based on what we know and the facts uh, have been investigated multiple times already, this is not a, a Chicago situation. There is no indication that Bill Guerin and in parentheses or any other member of the Pittsburgh organization at any time neglected his reporting duties or failed to follow up on 
follow up appropriately on uh, the reported concerns. I am completely confident that when all is said and done, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport will conclude the same. Um, so this isn't a case of Bill Guerin knowing and then failing to do anything like Stan Bowman um, okay. or Joe Quenville actively colluding to cover it up. Um, I mean, in some places they would call that uh, accessory after the fact, but I don't know that that's going to happen in this case uh, or in the uh, Aldrich case. Um, no. Just to just to clarify, Jared Scald is not the one who did the Jared uh, Scald alleged is the, assaulting. Jared Scald is the husband of the woman who was assaulted. The husband of the woman who was assaulted. It was Donatelli. Aaron, Aaron Scald is is his wife. She was the one that was assaulted, and he came to the team, and now suing the team and trying to trying to get them to fess up. But Scald's lawsuit alleged the Penguin says that the team negligently retained a coach who sexually assaulted and harassed his wife, Aaron Scald. They also alleged that Darren took part in Clark Donatelli, former player herself. Darren took part in covering up the incident because he allegedly asked Jared Scald to keep the incident quiet after Donatelli was dismissed. And that's another difference there. I mean, Donatelli was removed when they found this. Um, there's only so much anyone not involved in the situation when it occurs. And in the case of a sexual assault, those normally don't happen in the middle of a dance floor or the middle of an office meeting. Um, if it's been investigated and cleared, and quite frankly, with only two or three years removed from the a you know November eleventh, twenty eighteen issue. Mm-hmm. There the information should still be clear in people's heads. There's the document should not have had time to be accidentally or purposely uh deleted or removed. Um I'm okay with this. Um or as okay with this as I can be. And yeah, Clark Donatelli I him and and you're right uh, and you're right they did fire Donatelli it says according to the complaint Scald alleges that Garen told them that the Penguins were terminating terminating Donatelli and quote instructed him that the knowledge of the incident and termination had to be suppressed cautioning that it has to stay quiet and can't be let out of course Bill Garen denied these denied these accusations saying that he immediately went through proper channels uh, I brought them to the Penguins' senior management. Allegations were quickly investigated. I emphatically deny anything to the contrary. It, it, at this point, that part of it is that he said, she said in this story. And, okay, they want to give him a clean report. They want to say that he had no wrongdoing. I'm still a little hazy on it, but I'm not the be-all, end-all in this situation. So, I mean, for now, I have to accept it. If he didn't. I mean, he wasn't, no one's accused him of being part of it. And if he legally reported it, I mean, most companies have some sort of, a lot of companies anyways, have some sort of clause in your employment agreement saying that you're not allowed to say negative things about them while you're still employed there. 
And I think that's the extent of what was asked of Scald and his wife. Which is... <sighs> yes, it, it can be... I think that that that's that's splitting hairs and I think that in cases of legal act uh, illegal activity it makes sense to allow a broader amount of liberty in those cases okay that Still. said if if the organization has taken action and there's no prior record of that person behaving in a similar manner. I don't know how much blame you can place on someone on, on that organization or that person. Okay. And I am done talking about this topic. I hope it never comes up again. Um, you and I me both. really don't think anyone other than you and two or three other people who know me, who listen, <laughs> have any understanding of exactly how annoyed I am at the moment. No, no, I have a good idea. <laughs> um, here's the thing with uh, with Stan Bowman being punted over this. Mm-hmm. Based on the record of the Chicago Blackhawks this year, I'm not sure he was going to have his job until Thanksgiving anyways. Agreed. I mean, they are not merely bad. They're terrible. They are legit, straight up, terrible. The thing is, you look at that roster, and I'm not saying that they are. Uh, no. I mean, I'm not they saying that not. they are Colorado or Vegas or whatever. But you look at that roster, and it's Seth Jones, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Alex DeBrinkett, Kirby Doc. I mean, if anything, it's their defense that might be a little bit eh. Okay. In the East. They would have. They would not be leading any division. They would not be in a top three spot in any division, or shouldn't be playing at a reasonable level. Not playing at peak, but playing at a reasonable level. At present, they're they're garbage. Like, how can a collection of players, just the guys that you named, just the guys that you named, yeah, produce so little? I mean, we're not this isn't this isn't the Arizona Coyotes race for 32. Actually, um, I roster. thought I and I was going to say I thought the race for 32 was over, but uh. it might not be. Yeah. I mean, Arizona has a win percentage, a points percentage of 0.063. They are 071 and 1. <laughs> They yeah, have a minus 25 goal differential in eight games. <laughs> they, they, they are giving up an average of five goals. Somebody said an average of five goals a game. Uh, they've actually no, played. They've played eight games and have given up 37 goals. Eight times five is 40. So they're slightly under five goals a game. <laughs> but Chicago has a points percentage of point one one one. Zero seven two and two. They've also they played nine zero games seven and two. Up thirty seven goals. Also thirty seven goals in nine po- in nine games. Uh, they're they're a good team. They're 
again, just the five guys that you named. Yeah. Should have you three wins this season. One would think. Just those five. Three wins. Shouldn't be shouldn't be difficult. Seth Jones, seven points, no goals. He's a minus 10. To bring it, he's got four goals and five points. He's a minus 10. Oh, I forgot about Kubalik. Um, he's third on the team with four points. Oh, he's tied with Kirby Doc. They both have four points, three goals, and assist. Minus, minus. Everybody is a minus. I don't think that Connor Murphy is minus 11. He has one goal. Uh, I think it's him and Jones playing together. Um but yeah, this team. This team is, and it's not even just. Uh, even oh, oh. actually, you've got Tyler Johnson on this team too. Yeah, Dylan Strom is a plus one. Because <laughs> like, he's only played in three games, give him a chance. <laughs> the top of this roster is top ten material in the league. If I were to tell you, if I were to tell you that. Mark Andre Fleury has an 8.72 save percentage. I would assume that you were talking about like 20, uh, 20, uh, 2008 playoffs. Um, and the, the goals against average, which is a team sport, a team stat, I get it, 4.63. But even actually, Kevin Lankinen, who was solid, who was reasonable last year, not great, but reasonable. Yeah, he's got a 882 and 356. So they're really not playing any better in front of him. This no, is, but he's 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 saving. He he's made like I don't know what two more saves or something, five more saves. He's uh, Kevin Lincoln in this year has played five games, four starts. He's allowed um, and 127 goals. saves. Oh. Uh, Three less. Yeah, no, that's just no. This is bad. Like, I, I mean, I don't understand how you have a team with this much good on it, good to great, in fact, and end up so bad. I mean, yes, every team needs time to je- settle in and gel when there's new players. We're seeing it in Boston. We're seeing it in a couple of other places. Yes, Jonathan Taze did not play a single game in all of 2020 uh, in the last year. Has I Patrick get it. Kane not played this season? Um, I could have sworn he had, but even if he hasn't, irrelevant. The rest of the team is more than strong enough that it just shouldn't matter or it shouldn't matter this much. Fair that enough. team is a steaming hot pile of Brad Aldrich. And it appears he is uh, Patrick Kane is one of the players on the on the IR right now. Ah, uh, OK. Uh, along with Riley Stillman and uh, Jahar Kahari. Jarkari. Uh, here it is. Patrick Kane, optimistic. And this is from the end of September. Optimistic nagging injury won't affect his 15th season with Blackhawks. Sure. He's optimistic. 
I don't know. I'm trying to see quickly if there's anything listed in here as to what's wrong with him, but... nothing stating what his actual malady is at this point in time. Well, you know what? Um, I know how they can solve all of their problems. Blow up the team. Well, no, they don't even need to do that. Um, Currently playing for them in the minors is the greatest hockey player ever. Oh, yes, that's right. They sent him down at the beginning of the season. To the shock of everybody who's who ever saw his first, the first four years of his career, uh, Brett Connolly is in their system and available to activate and transform the entire landscape of the I, NHL. I can't believe they haven't. I I can't believe they haven't made this move already. I, I don't know what they're thinking. Maybe they just didn't want to show up all of the other teams immediately. What are they, they giving everybody to a head a start? Story. <laughs> I was going to say, what is this, the head start? Here, everybody else, get about 20 games ahead of us, and then we'll start playing. Okay. But yes, Mr. Connolly, who has spent time here in Boston and, and, and other he places. Is, and he is third on his team, uh, the, Rock, the Rockford Ice Hogs, in scoring, so... You know he's just going to step back into the NHL and probably get 150 points the rest of the year. I mean, did, did he not score like five whole goals here in Boston or something? I think it might have been as many as seven. He was drafted originally oh, nine. by Tampa he had Bay. A nine, he had nine goals in 71 games. Oh, nine. Yes. I was underselling him. I apologize. As you should. As you should. Yes. It's something Um, that's not completely healed. So whatever it is hasn't completely healed. Absolutely. As far as as Patrick is concerned. So I don't know. Yes, Chicago, terrible. Um, Don't know why they shouldn't be. They they really don't have – I understand Tay's not fully back yet. I'm sure that he's still getting into game speed. But at this point, they're, what, eight, nine games into the season. Uh, he should be getting back to that. I, he did miss a whole season, but so I'm giving him a little bit of a break. He does have 59% face-off win percentage, which puts him at pretty much the top of the top of the list top in, of the league, in, yeah. in the league for face-off wins. But he just hasn't scored a goal yet. He's got seven assists, but or six assists, something like that. Uh, three assists, my apologies. He's a minus six. That's where I saw the six. Anyway, so, yeah, bad. And, and, and yes, Arizona, oh, even worse. Oof. Grace for 32. <laughs> You didn't think that they would be this bad this year? I, I mean, didn't this think is, it was. You thought there was going to be competition for 32? It, no. it, the Blackhawks <laughs> might be giving them a little bit of a run for 32. Come on now. The Blackhawks can sneeze <laughs> and get more points in between now and the end of November 
then the then the um, Coyotes are likely to have by the end of February. Okay. Well, if we look at you know, let, let let's see here. Number one points getter on the team with a total of four points. Actually, there's three of them. Clayton Keller, Phil Kessel, and Shane Gossespierre. Ah, oh, this team is bad. Jacob Chikrin. Jacob Chikrin has played in eight games. He has no points. He's a minus 14. He has 18 penalty minutes. That is not even close to the same Jacob Chikrin. And he's still taking shots. He's got 22 shots on net, so he's averaging almost three shots a night as a defenseman. I mean, he might this be is not the same the Jacob Chikrin from last season. No. I think he's possibly miffed about the quality of the roster. Um. <laughs> Does he not have a right to be? I mean, look at this thing. Oh, I, I I might be able to find some high school teams that <laughs> high school teams might be a stretch, but there's probably like ten college teams that could beat them in a three game set. At least four of them are here in New England. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would toss Michigan onto that heap uh, in a heartbeat. Um, yes. BUBC. <laughs> Let's go with the four beanpot teams in there too. That's what I was gonna say. Let's go with the four beanpot teams. Maybe Um, not. Maybe. Yeah, that's Anton Strahlman actually has two points, a goal and an assist. Back to the GMs though. Oh yes. As I said, Stan Bowman unlikely to still have his job December first, based on how the team is playing. Yeah. But I don't think he's alone in that. Um, we we tripped over it briefly a few minutes ago. Mark Bergevin has got to be sweating bullets. In Montreal? Yes. In Montreal. Yes, they went to the Stanley Cup final last year. Big deal. Big deal. They're terrible. They could they Do, they could they, try to blame it on the fact that they don't have Carey Price in net. They don't have Carey Price, and they do not have uh, Shea Weber. That's right. Um, not coming actually, that. Paul Byron and Joel Edmondson are out as well. But uh, they do, actually they have a lot more injuries uh, than I was than I expected. Um, that being said, they still have two wins compared to, and they're only a minus 13 goal differential compared to Chicago. <laughs> Who is terrible. I mean, you look at the stats on this team and it's, I mean, the one good thing, the one positive they really have, the, the one truly positive thing they can take is that Jonathan Drouin has returned and he's actually playing like people expect. I mean, yeah, he does only have six points, but then again, only that six points is leading the team <laughs> only on that team. And it, that's just short of a point per game on a, eh, it's about two thirds, six points in nine games. So on a not good team, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, Matthew Perot somehow is leading the team in goals. Uh, he had a hat trick. Did Kakanyemi hurt this team? The other seven, which means he hasn't scored in the other seven games that he played. Oh, there you go. Um, did Kock- Mike Hoffman. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, did losing Kakanyemi really have that big of an impact on this team? Uh, I think that, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's several guys out. Uh, you've got, we mentioned Price and Edmonton and uh, Weber, but it's not, it's still not just those guys. They had like four players on season opening IR. You're going to say they knew about Weber from the end of almost last immediately year. After the, yeah, almost immediately after the cup. Yeah. And they knew about price effectively the same time. Yes. That he was going to have surgery and that he was going to be out. Yes. I agree. They, 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 they really shouldn't have other been younger surprised. players. I mean, Josh Norris, I believe is one of the Josh Brooks, Joel Teasdale and Matthias Norlander were also on season opening injured reserve. All of them were on their entry level contracts or uh, yeah, all all three were on their ELCs, but that's still a decent amount of flexibility. And let's face it, Samuel Montebo uh, is probably not in the top uh, 20 list of goaltenders, shall we say? Uh, Sam Montebo, no, he was actually a backup in. Yeah, he was a backup in Florida. Yes. And last season, he played in 14 games and had an 890 save percentage. And the 18-19 season, he played in 11 games and had an 894 save percentage. I know they've got a lot of injuries. Yeah. It might save him. The fact that the between the injuries and the fact that they played, they went so deep last year might save Bergevin. But it might not. Really not going to be surprised if he's not there in a couple of months because that team just no. They in any in any other year with normal with normal alignment of teams or uh, and normal and normalized you know schedules they wouldn't I have mean, made the playoffs. I mean, do you take do you take? Do you Last take year what they've Astros. done, do you take what they're doing now and the fact that he messed up the first pick in the draft, their, their first round pick with the, the Logan Mayu pick? Who wasn't I mean, coming to North America this year, no matter what. Logan Mayu had said, I don't want to be drafted this year. Yes, he came out and said, don't draft me. and Which, honestly... He did a stupid thing. And we talked about it, yeah. There's not really any excuses for it. But he showed more good sense in pulling himself out of or declaring he did not wish to be drafted than Bergevin did in drafting him. In drafting him, yes. Because now you know you're taking that first pick and washing it. Down. You're flushing it. Yeah, and that's even if he comes, even if he shows up three years from now, 
you're still going to have all the controversy. Yeah. Unless that girl who shows up with him and says, look, we've forgiven. I've forgiven him. We've moved past it. And I know that he's not going to do that sort of thing again. It's not, it's just not going to go away simply because of a couple of years. Every person on the planet who can afford to go to or watch a, or watch a hockey game on TV. Guess what? They also have a search engine and they also have access to some sort of search engine and they can toss a player's name in. Where have I heard that name before? And the stories are going to pop up. Agreed. I, another guy who I think might, might be getting a little nervous um, or some people suspect that he should be. Is. Um, I mean, you've got Shovel Day off on the list. And that was not the name that I meant to put there. Um, That's what I thought. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the Jets and I'm thinking, is Shovel Day off really in danger? The other guy, I think, is actually former assistant general manager out here uh, and the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. This is a team that I put fairly high into the standings at the beginning of the year. I think that healthy, this team is way better than their current uh, 389 points percentage. Am I saying that they should win the West and be the and be contending for the president's trophy? No. But with Elias Peterson, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, uh, Tanner Pearson up front, Love uh, Quinn Hughes, Oliver Ekman Larson uh, on your back end. Yeah. And then the then the team of Demko and Halak uh, in net. There's no reason at all, at all, that this team should be under 500. And if Jim Benning gets bounced, Travis Green's going with him. Possibly first. Uh, and I don't know if I, I, I... I I don't know that that's the right solution. No. I think that there's a... There's something that needs to be tweaked on the roster. Uh, I was in favor of finding a mature player, someone who is approaching mascot status, maybe because there's no one over 30 on this team. There's no influential player over 30. I mean, you've got Luke Shen, but he's really not what you would call a building block. He doesn't have a ring. You got Tyler Myers, 31. Um, uh, 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 I got a 33 year old Brad hunt. (laughs) Alex chase on Brad hunt. Brad Hunt, he of the $800,000 contract at 33 years old. No. Maybe Halak, but even he doesn't have a ring. There needs to be someone. I, I, I don't even know who to suggest, but there needs, they need something a little bit different at ice level in the locker room 
um, who can be the guy who says, guys, I've done this. We need to do X and Y if we're going to have a chance. Not just not just winning the majority of our games every month in the regular season, but winning series in the playoff. Um, I don't see that guy on this roster. I think I've always thought that OEL is a potential superstar. It's hard to look at Quinn Hughes and say, and see much less than a top 10% of the league at absolute worst in points uh, from the back end. Yeah. We, we can talk about Pedersen, Besser and Hovat for an entire show, an entire show. We could spend 90 minutes on those three players. But it's Stanley Cup winning teams have to be more than the sum of their parts. They've got great parts, but they don't gel. There's something off. I'm not saying that they're as bad as they remind me of the Colorado Avalanche when it was uh, Duchesne and Stasny. And they were great in the regular season, or for most of the regular season, and then they'd hit March and begin meltdown. Okay, I can see that. They're, they need something to stiffen them, stiffen the team. I mean, who's got the most playoff most playoff games on this roster? Might be Tanner Pearson. Uh, nope. I'm just looking at names and clicking now. I know, no, 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 no. Uh, most playoff games on this roster would have Might to be. be. Shen, then. I mean, just by virtue of age. Well, it's not. It's not Pearson. He's only got 51. It's not. Ekman Larson. It's not. No, I don't think he's played Luke more than Shen. 10. Luke Shen only has 31. You know who's got the most playoff games on this roster? Yarrow Hallock. JT Miller. 78 playoff games. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe he has a cup either. No, he's he's gone deep with the lightning once. Uh 17 playoff games back in 17, 18. That was actually the year he was traded at the deadline from the Rangers to the lightning. Yeah. A uh, year before that, he went 12 games with the Rangers. Uh, first year with the Canucks, which was 1920, 17 playoff games. Oh, that was the uh, summer, summer league. They pretend offs. Yeah. <laughs> Summer League. 17 playoff games. He had 18 points. Uh, yeah, he's got 78 playoff games in his career. It, it, I mean, but yes, again, you're right. No cups. You can't. He, he's not somebody you can say, this is what it took to win this ring. You're absolutely right. But he's the closest they have to it on the current roster. Maybe a Halak because he's been the uh, because he's been to the finals. Was he here when we went to the finals? Yes, he was. He's been to the finals. 
And I think Miller might have been on that team, uh, the Rangers team that went to the finals in 16. Uh, was that the 16, 17 run? 1617. Um, yeah, Lane Vigneault was coached that year. Yes. He lasted like stop. two years. We can stop the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Lane Vigneault. We can stop now. Can we really, though? It's a Lane Vigneault. We can stop now. Um, sixteen seventeen. He went twelve playoff. Yeah, twelve playoff games. That was his last full season with the Rangers. Twelve playoff games. He had a whopping three assists and twenty-one penalty minutes. Um, speaking of highly ineffective, we're going to stay in Canada and move uh, to another team that's got a lot of blue. Oh, okay. And is good at making their fans blue. Sometimes from screaming and sometimes just in general. Uh, Stats uh, Center tweeted uh, last night a list of the nine most uh, of the nine players with the most game winning goals in team history, a history that stretches back to 1917. And the remarkable thing about this team is that it is exactly what I've been saying about this team for years. Since Matthews and Marner and Nylander and a couple of other guys were rookies, this is the pyrite age of 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 the Toronto Maple Leafs. It looks really shiny, but it produces absolutely no value. This wouldn't happen to be that stuff called Fool's Gold now, would it? Right in one. <laughs> so, since 1917... I've heard of all these, well, or most of these people on this list I've heard of. Here's the list of guys with the most, ga- most game-winning goals before age 25. Austin Matthews at number one, 35. Frank... Uh, Mahavlich. Mahavlich. Frank Mahavlich. Charlie Conacher, 24, Busher Jackson, 24, Ron Ellis, 24, Rick Vive, Rick Vive, yep, 22, Mitch Marner, 20, Ted Kennedy, probably not the Massachusetts one, no. uh, also 20, and then uh, another 20 for William Nylander. So a third of the list for a 105-year-old franchise. Is, is currently is currently on the roster. <laughs> and tell me, so, how many all this, times have these guys who have been in the league for five, six years at this point been deep in the playoffs? And so, by deep, I mean second round. <laughs> second, threatening to win a second round series. Not winning a second round series, threatening to win a second round series. So just out of yeah, and you you're asking I guess the same question I'm asking is with all of this goal scoring might on the team and by the way those three players that are on that list take up what like twenty four percent of their cap or something uh not quite but it's it's pretty high um how is it that they are just so awful at 
playoff hockey. We don't need to ask the question anymore. We've seen the answer. They don't have the other stuff that you need to win a game. Oh, wait, those guys that play at the other end, the the blue line guys like, you know, Jake Muzzin, who scored a goal last night, by the way. Um, but so Austin Matthews, 14. Oh, actually, you're right. No, just between Matthews and Marner. Uh, 27.7% of the of the cap. Add in William Nylander, another 8.5%, and you're well over a third of the cap. A third of the cap. I, I said a quarter. Wow, you're right. But you look at their defense, and their defense is 6 times 3, 18, 21, 23. Uh, it's, 20, it's $21 million. $21 million. So... Less than the cost of Marner and Matthews. And I think Marner is underrated. I legitimately think in the regular season, Mitch Marner is underrated and probably a better player uh, today than Tavares or Matthews. So their defense is less their, than their any defense of their total cap percentage, yes. 25.6%. Yes. Or 27.7% for Matthews and Marner. <laughs> but then... And, go ahead. I, Kyle Dubas is supposed to be this amazing numbers guy, and all he's done is introduce Moneyball to hockey. He's, he's trying to, anyway. He's brought in all of these analytics... He's brought in all – and some of it is very good at telling you how good a player is if you can't see them on the ice. But he's ignoring the fact that it's not just about how you score. It's about time of possession. It's about where you're possessing the puck. It's about quality of shots. It's about shot suppression. It's about – Protecting the weak angles for your goaltenders, mm-hmm. not allowing third and fourth follow-ups, and I look at their defense. Let me rephrase. I look at the guys that they have signed to contracts as defensemen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's a good thing you said. Let me rephrase because I was getting confused. And then I look at the guys standing behind the defensemen. Because Peter Morazic, um, at yeah. best unproven, Michael Hutchinson has not managed to be healthy and consistent in the NHL. The fact that they have to carry three goaltenders anyway. And then you've got Jack Campbell, who unproven, Is going to get abused, unproven Just like that. I mean, Jack Campbell turned in a 9.34 save percentage in the last postseason that they played, and they still couldn't win around. Yep. There have been very recent goaltenders who won Stanley Cups who were 10 points below that. Yep. But had useful defense, and the reason that they're – save percentage was lower. It's because they were facing less shots. 
I mean, how do you, how do you, and, and this is for Jack Campbell, because I have to ask, how do you in seven playoff games have a 1.81 goals against and a 934 save percentage, and you are not going anywhere? Because <laughs> it's not his fault. <laughs> no, because the the mop bucket that he is riding in now it, no, it, it kind of stinks. The water's a little bit cold and it's really not cleaning anything. Not his fault. Ah, uh, yes. So Toronto three out of nine. It, it just, it, it, it boggles the, it boggles the mind. It, I, I don't get it at all. Yes. I don't either. Just like no. I don't get how Danton Heinen has scored four goals for the, Penguins in eight or nine games. One, um, Crosby and Malkin have been out for a lot of that. Two, oh, okay. he's not expected to be Patrice Bergeron 2.0 or 3.0 or 17.0, whichever it is, as they were here. I've said mm-hmm. before, this Danton Heinen is probably a more offensively gifted version of PJ Axelson. And quite frankly, PJ Axelson could, if he were, if you grabbed him out of a time machine from his second year in the in the league and dropped him into the league right now, he would still be he would still be playing at Warriors third line on twenty nine and a half teams. So, if I were to ask you who is the leading scorer for the Pittsburgh Penguins at the moment, your guess would be. Um, I would say not Danton Heinen, but possibly Danton Heinen. Well, your first instinct would be incorrect. Your second instinct would. With four goals and six points, he is the current leader on the team, second being Evan Rodriguez. He is leading the team in points. As <laughs> much as I love Danton Heinen. Away. <laughs> as much as I love Danton Heinen. He wasn't going to succeed here. Do either of us expect at the end of the year? For that, and and I'm talking about the calendar year, not the not even this the uh, the play year. Yeah. At the end of the calendar year, is Danton Heinen still going to be leading the Pittsburgh Penguins in scoring? Probably not, but it's just it's just nice to see. I mean, unfortunately, oh, look, it's I not in a Bruins really uniform. The eerie part is it's still in a black and gold uniform because Pittsburgh stole our colors, but. That being said, and I didn't mean to bring this up because I know it wasn't on the list. I just I, I, I heard it last night when I said I couldn't believe that he had four goals. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, surprise, surprise, surprise. Uh, um, you saw something. Uh, you saw the article the other night. I saw this in through the last couple of games played. Yeah. Uh, Brad Marchand says he's not at his best yet. Yeah. Uh, he, even though he is leading the team in points, if I'm not mistaken, and if you watch him on the ice, and that's the thing, it, it, it is if you watch him on the ice, he looks like he's flying all over the place and the passes that he makes and this, that. Yeah, okay. I'm not surprised by this because he got uncharacteristically well, beat to a couple of pucks 
in a couple of games, and it it surprised me. Yes, he's his own toughest critic too. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, he's he's over a point per game on a team that has not performed well yet this season, and he's saying that he's not playing at a hundred percent. And I believe him because I don't. I just haven't seen him look like the best player on the ice at any point. And he can do that on a regular basis. Yes. Um, I'm looking forward to him doing that a few times this year. Um, Charlie Coyle, on the other hand, has been the best player for the Boston Bruins in the last week. And everyone who's uh, got a who's going to vote for the seventh player award. Do it week by week. Charlie Coyle should be at the top of your list so far this season. At Uh, this point in time, I will go with that. That said, I actually have been impressed. Uh, I know he hasn't managed to score yet, but I have actually been impressed. Oh, he did score. He did get a goal. Carson Kuhlman. Carson Kuhlman. He scored in like the first game. Um, I think that he. He is they can flying. Manage, he is hitting. He is. He looks like a healthy Brad Marchand when he's skating up ice. Yeah. And that's a huge compliment. Um, I think that the next time that our uh, beloved coach decides to rotate lines for a period or two. I, I want to see Kuhlman on Bergeron's wing with Marchand for at least three shifts. Okay. Uh, I think that there's more there. Am I saying that he's going, that he's destined to be a regular part of the top six? No, but I okay. think that this is a guy who you can build into that third line winger um, who's got that speed and the ability to play a 200 foot game. Well, they've got him down on the fourth with Frederick and Nosek. And that, that line is doing a good things. They're getting the puck up ice on a regular basis mm-hmm. and they're getting the goalie to smother the puck so that you can put one of the top lines out there, which is a good percentage of the function of a fourth lot. By the way, Nosek is flying all over the place. I mean, yeah, yeah, he that has line looked, is moving. He has looked very good. Nosek has. Uh, I know Howell has been physical and 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 he's doing his thing, but I think Nosek needs to be pointed out on this team. I, and and I know we started out with Brad, and what I've seen of him, he's. I mean, the pass that he made last night that scored the goal by the Hall of Famer. Uh, I mean, ridiculous pass. The guy sees the ice like very few others. Very, yeah. There's a very select few that see the ice in that way, and he happens to play with one of the other guys who sees the ice in that way, and that's Patrice Bergeron, obviously. But if he really believes he's not playing at his best then the rest of the league should be terrified, scared or terrified. Yes. Because 
when he does play his best, he is not going to be in any way easy to stop. <laughs> uh, no. And if the other two guys on the line are anywhere near their best at the same time, it's lights out for, I mean, you might as well not, you might as well save your best line in your checking line to put against someone else, <laughs> you know, put them against Hall's line because they're going to get torched whoever they are. <laughs> are we at all surprised by what Taylor Hall is doing? I mean, it was funny when I watched the Buffalo game and they were booing Taylor Hall and it's like, you realize it's not his fault people, right? You realize <laughs> Look, Taylor Hall, point uh, seven one points per game um, this season with a brand new center who's not known for his offense. I'll take it. Two goals, three assists. One of one of those goals on the power play. Would I like more points? Obviously. You want great players to play great every night, but the math doesn't right. work on that. Um, I don't. I don't have a problem with Taylor Hall. In fact, I question the sanity of anyone who's uh, who's looking at him and saying he's not trying hard enough because he's come back and done all of the things at in every segment of the ice. Um, and he's got a 15.4 shooting percentage this season. Mm-hmm. If the only thing you can maybe complain is that maybe he should shoot more. Um, we're has at, he, has he ever been a, has he ever been a, a high percentage? He's never been a super shooter, like super high percentage. I mean, back in Edmonton, his highest career shoot, uh, shots per season, 286, uh, in the 15, 16 season. He all, he didn't have a great shooting percentage that year, but, um, what was it? He won the MVP while he was in New Jersey. Uh, yes. Hot trophy was in 1718. Excuse me. 278 Jersey, shots that year. Yeah. So yeah, he's not, so his shooting percentages, <laughs> his shooting percentage is actually <clears throat> the highest, the second highest it's been in his career. The highest being the 16 games he played with Boston last season yes. when he had a 16.7% shooting percentage. But the years before it, it's all single digits, 7.4, 8.1, 5.5, 6.9. I mean, the last time he had double digits was, yeah, the All-Star year. He was a 14. So I don't think that he's... He's not the problem. No. I, I, I tweeted this during this the team, game no, last he's, night. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was going to say, he's not the problem. But I also don't think the goaltender is necessarily the problem either i i don't blame either goaltender at this point um the biggest issue that i've seen is they can't the team can't find each other and it can't anticipate where the others are going to be on the ice which is leading to all sorts of turnovers um you know i might have hinted about this while i was tweeting the names of various defensemen linked to the bruins uh two or three games ago but various defensemen okay their blue line doesn't have a legitimate offensive threat. Uh, Period. No. 
if you look at it, I mean, people think McAvoy. And they're wrong. Well, yes. (laughs) But he's a Hall of Famer, so you can't say that. (laughs) Yes, I I can. And I did. And I would continue to. As needed. There you go. I mean, right Um, now he's got three points in seven games. Of course, two of those points have – one of those points has come on the power play. Oh, wait, that would be the goal scored last night. He's only got ten shots in seven games. That's barely a shot per game. That's That's 1.2 maybe. Yeah, that's – I mean, if you want to look at offense – 23 minutes a night, that's um, not spectacular. If you want to look at offensive defensemen, I just mentioned one a little while ago, Jacob Chikrin, averaging almost three shots a night. Uh, so if he's only averaging one shot a night, he's not as offensive as everybody would like to think he is. Sorry. No. <laughs> he may be the most offensive that we have on the blue line. That's Warboy's, uh Warboy's got nine. Riley's got ten. Uh Connor Clifton has five. Carlo actually you want to go with quote unquote offensive and just base it on shots. Carlo's got fourteen shots on net. He hasn't scored, but he's averaging two shots a game. <laughs> so for the people who think that I'm being ridiculous, you're being ridiculous about not uh, saying that Charlie McAvoy isn't a offensive threat. Since Charlie McAvoy came into the league. Yes. Among defensemen, total points. He's 34th. 34th. Really? 34th. Isn't that pretty good, though? Um, 456 defensemen have played in that time. It's definitely not terrible. Uh, he's ahead of a couple of guys who I think given equal opportunity would be ahead of him. I think Cam Fowler, who has played about the same number of games and has 13 uh, less points with Bergeron and Marchand and... Uh, Jake DeBrusque and others to pass to probably probably has a few more points in that time. Um, um, so I just I, I, I want to I want to I want to only because Josh, go ahead. Go, no, no. Finish what you uh, finish your thought there. No, 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 I'm done. Oh, Charlie McAvoy was compared to a particular. Um, defenseman in the NHL and that he was going to be the next of this guy. Uh, And aside from the fact that, you know, the guy they're trying to compare him to is much older than him. He's now currently 31 years old. Uh, You know, and has Some been on a terrible non playoff team for the last five years, yeah. Well, yeah, he's he's won a he's won a Norris Trophy uh, back in fifteen sixteen. They've won Stan they they won a couple of Stanley Cups, but we're talking like seven years ago. Yep. 
so he's supposed to be this guy, um, but he's averaging four minutes less a night over the his shooting percentage in, in, in for Drew Doughty is 16.7 for Charlie it is 10 that's yeah. this year um i will say that this year Charlie is averaging 23 just under 24 minutes and Drew is after many years of averaging over 26 minutes a night is actually only averaging 22 and a half and is currently out hurt uh but Charlie's never going to be averaging 29 minutes a night like Drew nope. did back in 14-15 or 26 minutes a night like he did last season or 26 minutes a night the year before or 26 minutes a night the year before or just under 27. Yeah, no. Sorry. Charlie is not the next Drew Doughty. And he doesn't have the play. shooting percentage. He doesn't have he doesn't even come close to the average time on ice. Shots per game, not nearly. No. Not nearly the same. And then Drew Doughty, again, has played on a bad team the last several years, but is still 20-plus places higher on points from the back end. And if you're going to stand there and try and convince me that you think Charlie McAvoy is better defensively than Drew Doughty, child... We need to talk. Uh-huh. We need to talk about what you're doing when you're watching your hockey that makes you think these fantastic things. Yes, fantastic things. Imaginative things. things. Yeah. Fantastic imaginative. Um, okay. Speaking yeah. of fantastic and imaginative and somewhat unbelievable. Okay. Let's set our way back machine for 1994. Oh, I remember that year. Um, Mark Messier mm-hmm. uh, is interviewed recently about the guarantee for game six. And this, more than anything, illustrates the way that the world has changed just in the lifetime both of Mark Messier and since this guarantee. Because it, not very many years before hack when Mark Messier was uh, a rookie in the league, it would have been unthinkable that everyone would have seen what he said. But he forgot that millions of other folks would see his would see his guarantee. Forgot in the process of making it in 1994. 1994, for those of you not alive at the point, dial-up internet was so slow that you could legitimately um, go make a entire pot of coffee starting with grounding, uh, grinding the coffee and boiling the water and allowing it to steep. Um, and in the time it would take to send a picture of the cover of the book that he's just that he's uh, releasing to your friend because it would take that long to upload. So in this, in this interview, he basically explains 
how and why he made this guarantee? Correct. Okay. Uh, this is with Matt Weiss. Um, he had just moved from Edmonton to the Rangers. Um, still fairly well. Still, he was 31 years old at the time. Um, which, uh, you know, and he had gone from living in Edmonton, which is still comparatively a cow town, um, to New York, which is, you know, six or seven times the population. Um, yes, hockey is everything in Edmonton and has been for a very long time, but, uh, 94 season guarantee, you know, the article talks about Babe Ruth calling a shot and Joe Namath calling a shot. Um, and yeah, I don't know what is on, just, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what is it about New York and getting people to, to with overinflated egos to start predicting what they're going to do? Yes. Babe Ruth called his shot, hit his home run. Joe Namath predicted as a guaranteed a Super Bowl win and they won. What is it about New York that makes these people think that they can make these guarantees? I think it's the air quality. No, okay. Just asking. Because then he guarantees victory in game six of the Eastern Conference Finals. (laughs) Which, I mean, he he goes on to say in the the interview, um, we had a lot of success against New Jersey all season long. And if anyone remembers, uh, we beat them all six games that we played in the regular season. Regular season versus playoffs, there's a gap. Yeah, that, that's kind of – I'm you know not what? quite sure if there's a, correlate, a direct correlation there. Yes, you've beaten the team, but the playoffs bring out a little bit something extra in most players, most teams. And he gives credit to uh, – he gives credit to New Jersey. He talks about how good their defense was becoming, how good Brodeur was com- becoming – and he talks about uh, Larry Robinson as a coach. Um, I'm not sure if I'm actually going to pick up this book because I don't read a lot of memoirs or autobiographies. Um, Fair enough. Same way, I'm not sure if I'll go out and pick up Sean Thornton's uh, Fighting My Way to the Top, uh, which is due out uh, early or late this month. But I just thought that was a fascinating look into the history of the interaction between media and players and how it reverberates across time. And he does, he does sort of answer the question and says, my inspiration to say that the, the quote about guarantee was basically just to let the players know that I really did believe that we could beat New Jersey. We were this close to making it to the Stanley cup final. It's not finals. Oh, and somebody needs to, but we had to push harder and dig deeper. We had to look ourselves in the eyes and ask the tough question that every team has to answer to win a Stanley Cup. We had to ask ourselves if this was all we had and that was the end of the line for us, or could we push harder and dig deeper? We weren't finished, and we were able to sneak out a couple of moments to take back momentum and ultimately go to the Stanley Cup final. So, I mean, and, and the whole thing with – the Devils ended up going on and doing their own thing because they had Brodeur, they had Scott Stevens, they had, um, oh goodness, uh, the 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 guy who's he he's on the NHL Network now and his name will come to me after the show. 
the roster on that team and and what they had for 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 talent was young, if I'm not mistaken. It was they hadn't quite oh, yeah. come into their own yet. Yeah, the Rangers went on to beat so, uh, the the Canucks in the final, and it was. I mean, it, it's a great story, uh, and I don't think that telling it in this manner actually diminishes it. Um, Mike Keenan was coaching uh, the Canu- uh, the the Rangers that year. Um, Pat Quinn was the coach of the of the Canucks, who seemed to be fated not to win a. Stanley Cup anytime in their first century. Um, but I, I like the story. Um, I think it's fun. Um, we mentioned that Crosby is out. Uh, TJ Oshie of the Capitals, or Crosby is back. Oshie is out. Um, but as much as we talked about the downside of a couple of the teams and how some of them are underperforming, um, and the Red Wings actually surprised me with the quality of their play against the Florida Panthers, who I think are probably one of the three or four best teams uh, in the league at this point. Um, Carolina uh, being one of the others. Um, watching, yes. there's a there's a tweet that Sportsnet put out a couple of days ago. Um, and it features the shot blocking in the last couple of minutes of their of the Detroit Panthers game. It's literally shot block, shot block, shot block, shot block. And they're already down. Even as scrappy as they are, they're not winning. They're, they're just not going to the cup. They're not going to the playoffs this year. Uh, but Sportsnet's tweet, it was October 29th, 10.09 p.m. You have to watch this clip if you didn't see the game. And even if you did see the game, this is the way hockey should be played. Well, if you're going to try and tell me if you're going to try and tell me that this is a team that's racing for 32, I'm going to have to correct you on that one. I don't think they're racing for 32, uh, but I think 22 is probably their high watermark for the year. Uh, or is probably where they land at the end of the season. They're just not a deep enough team to go. And I, I and I understand that they're not a deep enough team, but unfortunately, right now for the rest of the league, <clears throat> and, the and that's famous, why there's an 82 game season. Go ahead. Yes. Um, oh wait, third in the Atlantic. Uh, 556 points percentage. Nine games, yeah, they're not a. It's not a great record. They're four, three, and two. They've got ten points. Uh, put Detroit back in the West where they were for correctly or incorrectly. Put them back in the West, and they are what the second, third best team in the West. I mean, they'd be tied with points wise. They'd be tied with Winnipeg and Minnesota and San Jose, but their point percentages are all higher. So they'd be somewhere between third and fifth. Yeah, I'm just saying they're they're putting forth the effort and for a team that looked in cup in the last few years like they were racing for 31. This year, they don't look that way 
it, it's a different vibe on that team. And that video tells the story. They're, they're not just giving up. They're selling out. They're doing everything they can, even in a losing effort, doing all they can, blocking shots, trying to stay in the game. I mean, seriously. Uh, this team, this uh, this Wings team actually believes they're, they can compete with anyone on any given night. And believability is a huge part of sports. Um, I hope for the medium term uh, future of the team that they don't manage to play themselves into a position where their draft picks lose noticeable value. Because I think going outside that top 10 for the draft is going to ding them uh, more than they want to. Really? Uh, I mean, we haven't seen... Which slots are lottery slots? Top 10, top 15, top 13? Top 10. Top 10. Usually you have number one, number two, and then there's three through five, and then you got... Anywhere from four through seven through or five through 11, where you're getting the best players in most drafts. And then there's a significant tail off the rest of the first round. And then it becomes very different uh, for the rest of the draft. Uh, I think that if they finish 20, as I said, if they finish 23rd in the league this year, that may be the best thing that can happen to them long term because they have a chance to jump up in the lottery. They have a chance to, I mean, they have all of their own picks this year and some extras. Um, and that, that, uh, yeah, I think we've got pretty much everything we wanted to talk about this year, this week. We've covered quite a bit of ground this week. Yes, we have. Without a doubt. I think okay. we should I think we should call it a day, say enjoy the hockey and let everybody go home and enjoy their Halloween. Absolutely. Uh have a happy Halloween. Um whether you're lounging on the couch with the candy, you're not motivated enough to pass out, or whether you're going to a party or trick or treating or trunk or treating or whatever you're doing, have fun. I'll probably be watching a theoretically scary movie. Take care.